Alright, hello, and welcome to Greedo Shop First. I'm Benjamin Light. And I'm Marcus Sparks. Hello. Hi, and uh, it's our Star Wars podcast. We regularly do the Time Travel Murder Mystery Podcast. Uh, this is our little thing on the side to keep uh, all that Star Wars nerdery out of the main podcast. Episode 4. A little, a little piece on the side. Mm-hmm. And uh, still no director. Although it, it, there was a time when it seemed like Matthew Vaughn was like just waiting to be confirmed, but those rumors uh, seem to have died away now. So who knows what's going on? There was, yeah, well, a lot of people were uh, citing that Jason Fleming video interview where he appears to confirm Matthew Vaughn as the director, yeah. but really he's saying he expects to get a call. For Matthew Vaughn, should Matthew Vaughn get the job? Because he's in every one of Matthew Vaughn's movies. Hmm. Yeah, I can take really Matthew Vaughn. Yeah. Well, then it becomes like, what are your other choices? You know, if it's like Favreau, oof. Yeah. So, yeah, still waiting on that. Um, and just a lot of stuff out there where it's like, you know, so and so. Some celebrity who's probably like has a movie coming out gets a microphone shoved in their face and they have to give their thoughts on whether or not they'd want to be in a new one, you know. So you have guys like Chris Hemsworth who supposedly want to be in the new Star Wars, but that could just be, you know, just being polite. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of the news right now, it's it seems very much journalist driven, and if you want to call them that, not uh, not like leaks or anything, you know. It's just like looking for and making the story. But we're going to go ahead and say right now, Joseph Gordon-Levitt will be in the new Star Wars movie. Confirmed. Not a chance. Confirmed. You were already here first. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of wondering now if we're not going to hear anything to maybe the new year. I don't know. It seems like a long time. You think yeah, it does. They'd be in a hurry right now. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean the director's not hired, working. It just means it's they're keeping under wraps for a while. Well, I would presume that they have somebody by now. Or at the very least, like a short list, you know. Yeah, with with negotiations, you know, ongoing. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I did see an, an interesting thread online or is people speculating on what should be the uh the opening shot you know after the op- the crawl you know it's a star field like what do you see next mm-hmm. uh the best one and this is be obviously be like a big crowd pleaser would be just something involving like the millennium falcon like if it were to pan down to that that'd be pretty cool <laughs> episode seven we're playing to our base yeah I mean, that's like, uh, that's a home run, right? I mean, who complains? Well, it's like, yeah, it's like maybe like a little armada, a bunch of X-Wings, the Millennium Falcon, and they pan over to, uh, like some destroyed Star Destroyers. To me, the, the best move would be if you could have, uh, the Falcon, like, appear out of hyperspace coming straight at the camera, and, like, mm-hmm. you have just long enough to see it before, like, it just a massive ship appears behind it, you know? Yeah. Well, I think they should they should kind of play with that because I think that's the thing, too, is is this one 
there are a lot of expectations. To a certain extent, some of the whatever this manufactured angst over the prequels has been washed away slightly. Um, no one you know, complains. There was no a one lot complains. of people complaining yeah. about George Lucas. Like even the Ewok haters weren't weren't too loud when Phantom Menace, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, was coming out. I mean, people were just fucking excited. There was just this undaunted optimism, you know. Um, I think you're going to get a taste of that, especially as we get closer to the film, and then you know, once you see actual footage or images or casting, that that could change. But um, I think to a certain they need to kind of play with a taste of that old Star Wars nostalgia. Well, if they if they opened on the Falcon, like nobody's going to complain about that. I like one hundred percent approval from the audience. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just an opening shot. To, yeah. You know, I mean, but like, I mean, that's very much like. Uh, I don't know. It's like, hey, everyone, like we're cool again, right? You know, here's the Falcon. Yeah, yeah. Love us again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> well, we shall see. Yeah, I've noticed something kind of interesting before we get into the Phantom Menace. Um, for whatever reason, The Verge, the website, technology website, is mm-hmm. like reporting on a lot of Star Wars stuff, like any possible news. They run a story, which hmm. I can only assume that like somebody on their staff is a big Star Wars nerd. Although obviously not Topolsky, because on their last podcast he had to, he thought that Naboo got destroyed. He like he thought Naboo was Alderaan. So I don't know. That's a. It's the same guy who it's a party foul during Topolsky. Uh, one of my t- during the same um uh, for for the press junket basically for Prometheus mm-hmm. sat down with Damon Lindelof. Had faulty information, claimed to have watched every episode of Lost, had faulty information about the show. The co creator of Lost had to explain the show and its mm-hmm. ending to him, even though Topolsky had seen and just didn't understand what he was watching. Um, that's a, that's, that's one I would leave off my CV, you know, like, uh, yeah. Well, and so The Verge will occasionally run, it's called like The Verge Classics or whatever, and it's, uh, it's usually like an old video game or an old gadget or something like that. But this one was a book, and the book they chose for Star Wars, uh, I don't know if you saw this or not, was Shadows of the Empire. Wow. Which I think anyone who's ever read Shadows of the Empire would agree that it is not a classic. Uh, and it's funny because everyone in the, the comment thread is like, this should have been like the Thrawn trilogy. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's weird. It almost seems like... the. Like, The Verge wants to get on board early with Star Wars. Yeah. But they, I don't know, I, I question their credibility. Well, see, they keep claiming that they that they do more in technology, but not really. Mm-hmm. Well, they do, but, but, not, you, but make, not, you make the argument of how well they do it. But it's whenever they do, it's like this, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's faulty. Um, Shadows of the Empire, just to refresh my memory, that was the holdover for the prequels, right? It was like a big... Cross-promotional thing. Well, but it was like it was like the big campaign, like the last like uh, expanding universe campaign before the prequels. You had like a book mm-hmm. and a game, like a soundtrack or something. Um, yeah, there was a soundtrack, a book, a video game, action figures, uh, basically mm-hmm. everything but the movie. Uh, okay. And it took place between five and six. Yeah, yeah. Well, Han is in Carp Night, and so they had this new character called Dash Rendar. He's basically just like this terrible Han knockoff. Like he has his own ship that kind of looks like the Falcon and 
He has his own wacky sidekick. Oh, man. And he was like, he was also like a rogue who didn't want to join the Alliance. Uh, we got talked into helping them. It was not a great book. <sighs> the only, one of the only things I can remember about the book, there was like a, a human, a humanoid looking droid, like a droid who like everybody thought was human. It was actually a droid and she's like a sex bot. Um, of course. And there is also a whole bit where Princess Leia is like being entertained by like, it's all about like this like criminal organization called Black Sun and she's being entertained by the head of them. And so she puts on like a sheer body stocking where you can see everything to like uh, flirt with the guy or something. I don't know. It's very bizarre. Sounds very like bizarrely adult for a Star Wars thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, even all their romances are kind of chaste. Mm, definitely yeah i mean and there was a whole thing about like the pheromones that the uh the alien leader of this black sun puts out prince Caesar, to like you know arouse people like i don't know it's pretty weird for a star wars book <laughs> that's a classic apparently yeah really i guess a lot of people like the video game just because it had a, a good hoth scene or a Hoth, uh, you know, level. Um, and that was, like, the only good thing about the game, from what I remember. Hmm. That would suck, though. Like, you don't have the Falcon. Well, I guess you you could have the Falcon, but you didn't have Han. You had Dash Rendar. Dash Rendar, what a ridiculous name. Yeah. I mean, by Star Wars standards, that's a ridiculous name. Mm-hmm. He also had his own, like, tragic story about how, you know, he used to be in the academy or whatever. I don't, something, you know, happened to him to make him turn to a life of smuggling as well. He's also a smuggler. The uh, the humanoid names in Star Wars were always sillier to me than the alien names. Like Grando Calrissian? Like Grando Calrissian. Well, like yeah. Biggs Darklighter. That's a great name. That's an awesome name. Would you name your child that? I don't. You can't name someone with the last name, but like having the last name Darklighter, like that's like wow. Well, in your case, you could just name the kid Dark. Mm. Dark. That's terrible. <laughs> but and then of course there's Gavin Darklighter, his cousin. Mm. He's a uh, one of the X-wing characters. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. We should read those books. They're fun. Uh- Perhaps we will. Anyway, shall we uh, get down to the Phantom Menace? Oh, I I took a lot of notes for Phantom Menace. Did you? I took probably more notes in the first half than in the second. Um, I mean, to me, it's weird. Like this movie is viewed on two levels. As a movie all by itself, it works. I mean, its logic is not any crazier than like movies that come out today. I mean, uh. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of bad thrillers that, or like you know big spectacle movies that come out today that, that mm-hmm. just don't make any sense at all. I mean, it, it works as well as that. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting to think back that Ebert, you know, gave this a three and a half star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Ebert. mean it it did okay review wise. I think it was probably getting like B's. You know. Yeah, I mean, as as a Star Wars movie, this is probably to me. 
I guess I could say it's the worst. I mean, I, I I don't dislike this movie, but I would say it's the most flawed mm. film. Well, I really remember when I was rewatching this, just thinking about how it really just seems like just like shaking the rust off kind of a movie. Like, yeah, yeah. I think they were probably so focused on the effects work in this and how they're going to do it that like there are a lot of little details that like should have had more attention paid to them you know yeah yeah i mean uh like jar jar you know jar jar holds up to me like like visually like the look Mm -hmm. of the cgi character holds up to me more in retrospect than he did at the time but take like a sequence like the the pod race which looks amazing Mm -hmm. i mean it looks really great um so it's weird the like the themes and the motifs that Lucas is trying to tease for the prequels in this, I I I thought those like those they are not subtle. I guess you could say. Mm. I mean, I feel like if if you're going to go back and and say like, all right, well, how can we how can we make this better? I think one of the main things is there's just some stuff at the beginning that's kind of mm. superfluous, um, like the trip through the planet core. It needs yeah. more of a reason to be in the movie. I mean, obviously, it's kind of cool to watch, um, but it doesn't really do anything plot-wise. Um, well, and, and Jar Jar says, you know, like, that's a trap, or you're going to die doing that. And then, like, he, is he specifically referring to the uh, uh, amphibious mm-hmm. life of Naboo? I mean, I mean like... We know why it's like there. The, the, yeah, the little, like, there's always a bigger fish, you know, mantra, mm-hmm. which they hit home twice. Yeah, uh-huh. they, they really didn't need to do it the second time. But, I mean, we know why the scene is there, which is because, like, I think there's a very strong effort to make the start of this movie feel kind of like this crazy Saturday morning serial, like, Fantastic Planet type of deal. Um, and they succeed, you know. It definitely, yeah. you know, it starts out on a spaceship, and then you're down on the ground, and you're underwater, and, and then you're, like, in the palace, you know. And it, it definitely has that kind of, like, wild old school sci-fi Saturday morning serial feel to it. Um, Which is funny because everybody knew that that's what Star Wars is based on. And Mm. yet for whatever reason, I think it's weird. There's so much press leading up to this movie and a lot of, I would say kind of like, I don't want to say overrating, but like overpraising the original trilogy, like talking about like, you know, like Joseph Campbell and all that shit. And it's like, you you guys, you realize that these movies are still pretty corny, right? You know, it's like, There's just like this adulation of the original trilogy and the myth making and all that. And then the new one came out and it was pretty much what Lucas said it was going to be like to a T, mm. you know, mm. it was still the same old kind of like corny Flash Gordon style. He said it was going to be kind of more like a medieval uh, like vibe of like the, you know, the queen and, you know, kind of the old Republic. Everything's a little older and, you know, like it was it was what he said it was going to be. But for whatever reason, people were not expecting it. Yeah. Um, I mean, but yeah, the little subtle themes and stuff, like uh, like really hitting home the symbiotic relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, I really like Liam Neeson in this movie, though I find Qui-Gon to be a bit dumb. Yeah, dumb and I don't know, kind of overbearing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the movie really starts to hit hit its flaws when they land on Tatooine <laughs> but leading up to the the pod race yeah there's there's just like a lot of extra stuff in this that doesn't need to be there well in subtext 
mm-hmm. shake lord. Yeah. Well, so back just the beginning. Um, the accents of the uh, the Moidians, they're unfortunate. Uh-huh. And like apparently, yeah. I guess like I remember reading this at the time. The the voice actors are actually like Scandinavian or something like that. Like they're not like uh... tr- they're not specifically trying to do. Like a bad, like uh, you know, like yellow face act acting uh, voice work. Actually, but... when I was just reading um on Wikipedia, and I haven't checked the source, you know, mm-hmm. for these for these bits, but they went through a lot of different, you know, real world dialects, and they picked the Thai one specifically, um, for I can't remember what the reason was, but they but they they picked it, and it was specifically modeled on a Thai thing as mm-hmm. opposed to like. The Nemodians having bad English accents. Well, and also, it's mainly the the main guy, uh, Newt Gunray, yeah, who, yeah. who has that like really awful, you know, like Chinglish uh, accent or whatever. Um, yeah. Like all the the other Nemodians don't speak the same way, which is like doubly annoying, like for continuity reasons. And it's like, it's like, at some point, why didn't Ben Burt, you know, in the sound editing or someone just say, you know, this is it, and it's like the first thing you see in the movie, pretty much. You know, it's like, like almost immediately you've got like these villains who you're just like, seriously. When when we get into our episode two thing, I, I really I don't want to forget that I've always had a lingering suspicion that Ben Burt and John Williams have a certain feud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They do chop the hell out of uh, his score in this. But but do you remember from the I'm sorry we're getting on topic of Phantom Menace but do you remember from the special features of uh, Attack of the Clones that Ben Burt put together a whole like uh, factory percussion track for the yeah. Droid Factory and then like Lucas basically threw it out because it was John Williams's territory. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, I, I I like Liam Neeson a lot. I think he's a good anchor. I think this is the first time that I really saw him as an action hero. Um, he's quite on his dumb. Um, I liked his little Clint Eastwood spaghetti western poncho when he gets to Tatooine. Yeah. The nice thing is he 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 is overbearing the character, but Neeson plays certain bits where you're free to suspect that maybe he was aware of the um the you know the true body double. Well, we'll get to that later. Some of the the stuff from the beginning, just like interesting, kind of like universe building. Uh, we see that lightsabers can have a hard time cutting through like thick doors, uh, and but they can melt them. Yeah, that, that's you know it's all it's like this is you know the canon or whatever you know. So oh okay, and to a certain extent, do you feel like they were kind of giving you what you want with that? Because right away in the first like five minutes of the movie, you've got a big lightsaber action set piece. Yeah, yeah, which was awesome. I mean, I was just like at well, it, it makes sense like at midnight showing when I watched this, I was loving that. It makes sense if there was like a super thick like, blast door or something. Like it should be harder to cut through that than you right. know like a thin one. But of course you can melt it because you have a fucking laser sword here. Yeah. <laughs> you have a thing. Well, that it was quite unplanned on doing there. Cauterizes them. Yeah. yeah. It was quite unplanned on doing. It's like shoving the sword in the middle. Is it just gonna melt the entire door there? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's funny that with the battle droids, the, like the regular droids are just so weak but then the uh the little the droidicars. the droidicars are like so overpowered you know it's like forces yeah. the jedi to run away yeah when i love it they they do like a little zoom on them when they run off it's almost like a true blood vampire thing like when the um 
when the Jedi want to get out of there, zoop, mm-hmm. they're gone. But uh, uh, especially the part, um, all the holograms, especially when uh, the princess and ev- or the queen and everyone escapes, mm-hmm. like the Sith seem like really creepy business partners. Yeah. <laughs> These guys wear hoods, like Darth Maul looks like he looks i mean i would be fucking terrified of dealing business with these guys well, apparently they, they just found out that there's another one yeah yeah well thank god that they're uh just holograms mm-hmm. <laughs> to the point darth maul shows up and yeah everything really does feel like kind of more old-fashioned and medieval than the original trilogy especially with the uh, naboo and kind of like the neapolitan design of the city and it's like yeah. the Jedi are in robes and all the uh, the queen and all her people are in kind of like these robes or fancy get-ups. Um, the only comment I'd have there is I do feel like they overdid it on Padme's costumes. Um, they don't seem to totally fit the rest of the the kind of people around them. You know what I mean? Like everybody else looks like they're kind of dressed kind of fancy, but the design of her outfits doesn't seem to match anything else in Naboo or like their people or their clothing. Well, okay. And you really, so you've opened the door to the like Naboo governmental structures. Yeah. Like, uh, like how do you go about electing a prepubescent girl to hold the highest office in the land? And, mm-hmm. and especially with all that like bizarre ceremonial fashion and makeup sense. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and also how is a Senator from this super backwards planet? Like so powerful. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Palpatine, as we've said before, like Palpatine like really didn't get enough credit in the original trilogy or the the prequels. Like, but it's really not that hard for him to manipulate anybody. No, in this situation, I mean, there's a lot of little tiny nitpicks. I mean, like like as I wrote down bit by bit as I was watching this, but like when she gets to Coruscant and he's trying to explain to her about the bureaucracy, I'm thinking, does he really need to explain to her like well, the bureaucracy she's like of the twelve Senate? or something or thirteen? What so I mean, maybe. it's like. As the ruling, like, dignitary of her sovereign state, is she not aware of, like, the corruption that could yeah. possibly be happening in the Republic Senate? It is weird and what they did they... with her voice, too. I always thought that was a weird decision. Yeah. Well, I guess it's the kind of cover when it's Keira Knightley and when it's Natalie yeah. Portman. Because I, I remember in the first trailer that came out, they had not done it to that her voice yet. And then later, it, it sounded really weird to hear some of those lines because we'd already heard them. From watching the trailer like a thousand times, and like and the uh, that's always jarring when done. like when like audio changes like that, you know, like when you hear yeah, a some different, of those different mix to a song or something. Some of those lines will always be burned in my memory. Like the uh, our people are dying, yeah. we must do something quickly. Or the uh, I can't fight a I can protect you, but I can't fight a war for you. Yeah, always be burned in my brain. But yeah, um, it just felt like her costumes. They were like wild Star Warsy costumes, but they didn't seem to fit in with the rest of the, like the costume and and set design and everything around her. You know, they kind of like, yeah. and they didn't even they weren't even consistent. Like some were like wildly different than others. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like it's like in every scene where they change. I'm just trying to picture the engineering of this yeah. word engineering. It's like Qui Gon wants to go tell her about some new update. Does he have to wait like an hour and a half for her to get in her new fucking outfit? Maybe he does. Um, and and some of the body double or the the decoy stuff. It's like okay, so like they get onto the they you know Rico Lee, which is always <laughs> that <funny> guy thing. sucks. <laughs> well, he, he gets especially annoyed with Anakin's questions before they go back to Naboo. I love that. 
Yeah, you catch on pretty quickly. Fuck off, little kid. But, uh, like, so R2, like, saves the day as they're trying to get away from the Trade Federation, escape Naboo. Like, would they really bring the droid to the queen to, like, exactly. commend? Like, exactly. what is his designation? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, the the bit with him, like, being one of the droids that fixes the generator, that's good. You know, it's a good solid R2 intro. You didn't need for them, like, him to be presented to the court, you know? Yeah, like, he's yeah. a fucking droid. Like, I don't know. It's it's funny just in how goofy it is. But it is one of those. It's like, that was another, you know, minute to, a minute of movie that you could have just cut or done something mm-hmm. else with, you know. Mm-hmm. And then we just got to talk about how, how odd it is that this movie has Kira Knightley and Sofia Coppola in it. Yeah. In well, the, and, then, and then Rose Byrne was her body double in the second movie. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I, I root for her career, Rose Byrne's, just to make it even weirder that there's all these successful actors who played uh handmaidens. Yeah, yeah. Um The ship oh, also, designs. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Ewan McGregor's reshoots wig is really bad. Yeah, yeah, it seriously is. Yeah, it's noticeable. Like I would have I would have waited maybe until he was done with a film role to do the reshoot so he could cut his hair again because it's mm-hmm. really bad. It's Especially just too it's, big. Yeah. It's all throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think that's an interesting thing about Lucas's, uh, the way he puts together these films. Cause apparently the initial edit of Revenge of the Sith after the principal photography mm-hmm. was drastically different. Like the fall of Anakin was very different. I can see that. And yeah. then they did a lot of reshoots, which completely rechanged that. So I don't know. It, it'd be curious just from a craft, you know, standpoint, like, like putting together the craft of a, a finished film to see how they do that. But God, that wig. Damn. <laughs> Yeah, one thing I did notice, the ship designs, like, I feel like they were probably a lot more thought out in terms of how they would actually work than, say, like, you know, Star Destroyers or X-Wings. Like, I feel like those, the old trilogy ships were all very much, like, just a look. Um, you know, it's like, what looks cool? Whereas these ships, it was like, you had the, uh, the big, like, lander ships that then spit out all those little smaller droid ships that then deployed the droids. It was like, they really put a lot, of thought into like how this would work and I, I don't know it's like both good and a bad thing i think you know um yeah well the tie fighters like they're they're designed doesn't make a lot of sense to me in the original no um but since you mentioned that like darth maul's ship is a lot cooler and makes a lot more sense to me than darth tyrannus's ship yeah yeah like, I, mean, I, I like the ships that... ship, but can that go into hyperspace you know? well, a lot of the ships that they use in uh I, not so much in this one, but in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, they're just kind of like these boring transport-looking ships, which I yeah. guess makes sense, you know, yeah. like that they wouldn't be super military, but yeah, they are kind of dull. Um, well, the Jedi Starfighters in Episode 3 are a lot cooler than the ones in Episode 2. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It make more sense because, like, there's the whole outer hyperdrive shell <laughs> yeah. that they have to drop off. Yeah. Especially since there's a chase sequence that Obi-Wan engages in. It's like, does he have to go back for his hyperdrive shell? Yes, he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so you get to Tatooine. You get oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not ready to get to Tatooine yet. Okay. Uh, we should talk about the lightsaber fights with the droids. Um, I feel like yeah, they're a, a, while. L- a little it's too like flourishy. The motions. Well, it's a little bit too much like spinning around and stuff. And I think a lot of that is probably like, I don't think they had any idea how they were going to do this. Like, and it was 
just figuring out like how can we even block a scene so that we could CGI stuff in later. Like I feel like there's a ton of innovation that happened in this movie that really moved the whole effects industry forward. But you see yeah. the growing pains, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something they don't get enough credit design. for. Yeah. The droid design was maybe not menacing enough per se. Well, they seem too flimsy. Yeah. Like at one yeah. point at the end, like the one droid's head just falls off when he gets turned off. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it, really? It, it, Jar Jar hasn't even touched him, and his head just falls off because his power's been turned off. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, some of the stuff in the boo towards the beginning, it's almost like the Jedi's are just flashy ponces. Yeah. Like twirling around, like they didn't need to do this, which kind of makes it when they go back to Naboo at the end, like, wh- why is it so hard for the Jedi to take out those those droids when the those Nubu, Nubu, Nubian sorry Nubian. Nubian starfighters are taking off? Because like, they took out an equal number of droids when they left Naboo in the first place. Yeah. On it, it's. I mean, I guess I could just imagine being there on the set when like you have nothing to act against. It's like. All right, you're blocking bullets and cutting things in half, you know. Yeah, those those like big silver balls that they hold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, one criticism I've I've read this in various places, and I think it's pretty correct is uh, they called these movies landing pad movies, um, mm-hmm. and the reason for that is like it, in the old Star Wars, like to show a ship landing was way too hard. Um, the effects work for that. And so you never right. actually got to see ships land or take off. Um, and it's one of those things where, like, the effects guys, like, really wanted to be able to show that. And lost in that is why we need to see a ship land or not. Like, it was actually kind of a good thing they couldn't show it. Because it's not really mm-hmm. important. But this is right. movie definitely, it's like, you see those ships land every single time. Because, you know, it's just like, I don't know, it's like, it, I think it's just like something that, like, nags effects guys and directors that they can't show it when maybe they well, shouldn't let me let me invent a metaphor based on that that's needless mm-hmm. both episode one episode two start off with a ship landing somewhere mm-hmm. episode three starts off with a ship crash landing yeah <laughs> yeah one of those is like worth watching you know the other two are yeah. like yes yeah, it's just a ship landing you know yeah Oh, but yeah, there's a, there's a, a large number of ships landing in, in the prequel trilogy. Well, th- you think right? about how many times you see a ship landing on a landing pad or in the desert or wherever, you know. Take a shot and you will be drunk. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, on to Tatooine. Jake Lloyd. Uh, how bad were the other kids, I wonder? Well, I, mean, I, I don't feel like a, this movie, but... I feel like a lot of this is just the direction that Lucas clearly wanted to go in with the kid. Like he wanted this kid to be like this angelic little, you know, nice kid, like completely guileless. Um, I don't know. That's what he, that's where he wanted to go. You know, I think a lot of people are expecting like a, I don't know, a kid. He's like a little more, uh, I don't know, say dark, wise? but yeah, street wise and just like, kind of like savvy. And maybe he lies here and there, you know, like just, you know, you're expecting to see like, aha, here are the roots of Darth Vader. And they really don't do that. Uh, it's really just making him out to be like the super nice little kid. who's kind of a dork. Cause they had that little poster of Jake Roy, like running across the, the plains of Tatooine and his shadow was Darth Vader's silhouette. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, in a lot of ways, specifically Jake Lloyd, I think is in this, in this prequel trilogy is what begat the fact that you could do a Harry Potter film trilogy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think, I think a lot of people wanted like young Tom Riddle to be 
Darth yeah. Vader. And yeah. that's not, that was not the case. Um, it seemed like he should have been older. Like, yeah. I don't know, he was, like, fairly young. I mean, he's supposed to be, like, I don't know, maybe, like, nine or ten in the movie or something. Right. Like, right. it seems like, uh, like, the thing that I call to mind is, like, the characters in uh, Super 8. You know, I mean, they were, like, what, 11, 12, maybe 13. But they seemed so much more, I don't know, aware and mature, you know, even though they're little kids. Like, and it doesn't, it wouldn't have hurt for, for Anakin to be 12. Yeah. Yeah, for, for him and uh, Padme to be more the same age certainly would not have hurt. Right. Um, speaking of which, though, Anakin and Shmi are poor pieces of shit. I mean, they are serious white trash. Shmi looks like she might be not all there. Yeah. Um, Jake Lloyd is much better with CGI characters than humans. Like, all the, the, the you know, good acting you could say he did is with basically, like, him pretending. You know, like anytime he has to interact with other humans, like his performance isn't nearly as good. His most wooden scenes, though, are partially bad dialogue. The uh, are you an angel scene? Yeah. Um, Which the thing is, it's hard to buy that scene because of the fact that she's young, but still, you know, uh, no makeup, five or six years older than he is. And he's Mm -hmm. young enough that. There's not going to be a romance between these kids. And they're obviously not going for a friendship thing later. You know what I mean? It's it supposed almost, to be a romance. It almost feels like they should have cast someone who was 15 and told him to play like he's 12, you know, yeah. and then like use that same guy in the next movie as the older Anakin, you know? Um, yeah. But, I mean, and that's, that's the biggest flaw about this movie is that there's, you're going into this prequel trilogy with this first film. There's certain characters that you've seen before that you're dying to see again. Mm-hmm. There are certain characters that you've heard about and you're dying to see. And instead, we're focusing on other characters. Yeah, like Qui-Gon, for instance. You can make an argument yeah. that Qui-Gon shouldn't have been in the movie at all. That it should have just been Obi-Wan. Yeah, I mean, Obi-Wan comes off so weird in this movie. And I know that the... the it's like a supporting character, pretty much. The books have contradicted us. But my take on it was that it seems like with their relationship that maybe... Obi-Wan hadn't been Qui-Gon's Padawan for very long. Hmm. Um, but the books apparently make it seem like, like he's been his, his Padawan, you know, since he had a, since he was a Padawan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A lot of weird interplay between Qui-Gon and Padme in this. Like, I, I have to think you're supposed to, to get the idea that Qui-Gon knows that she's yeah. not, that she's the queen. You well, know, if not, he's a dick. Yeah. Well, she's like, the queen wouldn't, he's just like, the queen would trust my judgment. And it's like, he's kind of throwing it in her face. Well, at one point, he's just like, no more commands from her highness today. Yeah. It's, I I don't know, I guess it's interesting. You can make the argument that, like, the whole body double thing, it, I feel like it just didn't have a a good reveal at the end. You know, like, she's just kind of like, at at some point, she's like, oh, I'm actually the queen. And you're like, well, I I mean, I guess we kind of figured that. We were confused, because... We focused on you the whole time, so obviously you're important, you know. Well, during that sequence, though, in the in the sacred place of the Gungans or whatever, there's a great look between Qui Gon and Obi Wan, mm-hmm. where you just assume that Obi Wan's handing over five dollars. Yeah, he lost it, a- it looks like he just lost a bet. But the Naboo security forces <laughs> suck. Yeah. The decoy strategy. Is the, yeah, the, yeah. Hugh Kwashi, who according to Wikipedia went on to do nothing after this. Even though apparently he took this move because he thought it'd be a good career move. Yeah. Um, 
like the decoy strategy is the best thing they have going for them. <laughs> That's not much. I guess you were waiting for, I don't know, maybe they kill off the actual queen or something, but it's like it's not the queen. Like a lot of setup for something that just kind of like peters out, you know? Well, I felt like, okay, so they, they did it again in episode two. I felt like you were missing the third iteration in Revenge yeah. of Sif. Yeah, that's true. Um, like somehow Anakin like force chokes Kira Knightley to mm-hmm. death by accident or something. I mean, the scenes with her and Qui-Gon, they are slightly amusing just because, I mean, you, you kind of have an idea what's going on at that point. You know, you're like, obviously we keep following uh, Nellie Portman around here, so you know her there's more to her than you know meets the eye um but i i guess it's supposed to kind of play um as the opposite of the whole palpatine thing because they never you know they never really reveal that either you know mm-hmm. until yeah. the, the third one um and it is it is so interesting the way that plays out though um that you that you always see sidious with a hood on being sidious and then mm-hmm. you see this kind of goofy Palpatine is all flowery and uh, uh, E. McDermott I don't think gets nearly enough credit for his work in these movies yeah he's excellent yeah um, doesn't it seem weird that Anakin built 3PO like wouldn't it seem much more I don't know if in character be the right word but like fitting if 3PO was a protocol droid of the Queens and Anakin had built R2 doesn't that yeah. feel more normal that he, well, would, he, that he would build a little boxy droid and that somebody like 3PO would be the one that was with the queen. Well, what the hell would he know about programming a, a protocol droid? Um, yeah. Especially on, on Tatooine, which seems like a shithole. And again, these are kids' movies because at one point, like, Jar Jar's worried that they're going to get robbed. Like, mm-hmm. in Qui-Gon's like, well, we don't have anything for them, for them, us to be worth robbing. And I'm thinking, like, this, I imagine the sex trade in Tatooine is ridiculous. Look at the gold bikinis they shove people in there. Well, I like, mean, let's take a look at Shmi there. Like, what do you think your mom's doing to earn her keep, Anakin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a day job as part of your slave duties. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? What does your? You don't think you think your mom's waiting tables? No, no. Also, Shmi just has that glaze. <laughs> like I, I don't know. I'm uh, maybe there was a father. I, I don't really know. Yeah. 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 I remember there's like all the speculation where it's like maybe Qui Gon was the dad or something. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. Well, well, that and people really wanted it to be like Palpatine. Yeah. Like the, these complicated schemes in which like Palpatine reveals that he had. Like somehow artificially inseminated Shmi or something. Well, according to the book Darth Plagueis, uh, Her- Palpatine and Plagueis were like you know doing some like deep dark side meditation and like they shifted the balance of the Force like in, in in the universe or whatever, and that was what caused like Anakin to be created. So they weren't like hmm. directly respond, you know, they weren't like directly trying to do that, but like that was why he came about was because the balance of the Force was shifted by them. I guess the thing that, well, that seems stupid to me. Yeah. The thing that I always liked about Star Wars was that while there is a lot of the kind of motifs that you could find in Christianity, I mean, I mean, look at the look of Darth Maul, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. But like, there's never, like, the force seems to be like this, this neutral field. There's no 
like god of the Star Wars universe. You know, I always I always appreciated that. Well, the whole idea of the Force is with you, you know, like yeah. which I always enjoyed from the original trilogy. They didn't really play on that as much in the the prequels. It's, just, it's like Obi Wan is here, the Force is with him. You know, it's like yeah. Are there times when the Force isn't with him? You know, it's like. It's like the kind of like, you know, mystical fates, you know, where it's like the force wasn't with you today for whatever uh, reason. Well, uh, one of my notes is that a lot of characters in this movie are suggesting to others that they should be mindful of the yeah. force, like on both sides of the force there. It's like you should be more mindful of this. It's like, well, so there's a, there's a whole terrible EU thing where there's the living force and then there's the unifying force. Which are like, I don't know, kind of like doctrines or whatever. Um, and like Qui-Gon was a proponent of the living force. Like as opposed to most, most of the Jedi were more like uh, into the unified force. It was like this weird like sex or something within the Jedi Order. Well, remember, that's the thing that Qui-Gon feels that, that Obi-Wan is not mindful enough of. Mm-hmm. It's the living force. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Jedi Council. Like like Mace Windu is terrible in this because... There's a bunch of assholes. Well, yeah, well, first of all, there's like 15 people on this council. Only three of them ever speak. Um, Mace Windu at one point says, I don't think the Sith could have returned without us knowing about it. I Ten minutes not. later, he's positive they're back. Yeah. And we need to get some answers. It's just like, I do not believe the Sith could have returned without our knowing. And then, like he like glances knowingly at Yoda. You know, <laughs> it's like, you assholes are so wrong. I did think it was funny, like in the in the Empire Strikes Back, it's uh, like Luke is too old. He's too old for training. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, he's like 21 or something. Um, mm-hmm. But in this, it's like Anakin's like 10. He is also too old for training. It's like, how young do you have to fucking be? You know? Yeah, well, you have to say goodbye to your family completely. I mean, presumably yeah. they, they breed or they train like like familial obligation and... Well, I mean, in the, I think, presumably lust out of you. In the books, it's like you're taken from, like, you know, like when you're one or two years old or something like that. Right, right. Well, yeah, in the Republic, they can, apparently, Mm -hmm. they have amazing screening capabilities. Not on Tatooine, which is a shithole. Jar Jar steps in shit. They they hit it home for you because the first moment they walk into town, like, Jar Jar steps in shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which I would say that's like, you know, people give Lucas a lot of shit for humor like that. Um, that's a, a good, that, that joke lands. I, I don't yeah. think anyone was like, oh, that's horrible. It's when later, like, he's like standing behind one of the little animal things and it farts on him. That's like, all right, you went, you know, like, yeah. you nailed it the first time. There's no need to go there again. Right. Okay. So my last of my notes about, uh, tattooing before we go into the course song is, um, first of all, moisture farms just sounds interesting to me. <laughs> um, Watto has really sleazy stubble. Yeah, yeah, Watto's pretty uh, sleazy. I mean, his design is works. His voice works. I mean, he's got the little vest and these wings, but he's got really sleazy stubble. So Boba seems pretty tough. He seems pretty formidable, but it seems kind of beneath him to carry on a rivalry with a child. <laughs> yeah, seriously, he's this ten-year-old child that he. It's like it's like you know, like bullying school. He's or never something. lost to this child. So why does he like feel the need to engage this boy in in this yeah. rivalry? A, he, like a human has never won a pod race, but Sepulveda goes out of his way to sabotage his uh, pod. <laughs> anyway, so then, so on the course, on, um, well, one just mentioned just, um, the pod race is awesome. Like, yeah, 
You complain about a lot in this movie. You can't complain about the pod race. It's like an excellent sequence through and through. Yeah, it really is. Well, and, and if you go back and you watch special features in episode one, like, that's what Lucas is really obsessed with, I think. Yeah. To him, like, that had to work. More so than the, the, the dog fight, you know, in space at the end or any of the other stuff. Like, it had to be the, the pod race. Everything was based around that. Um, and, it, and it works. It works well. Um, when you get to Coruscant, and it's just odd, some of the cast in this movie, like Terrence Stamp, mm-hmm. who has nothing to do. As Chancellor Valorum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, I don't know, it's like, obviously they wanted like political intrigue and you to see how Palpatine's manipulating the scenes and whatnot, but like ultimately, I guess it's just not very cinematic. Uh, they no. tried really hard to make the Senate look as interesting as possible with all the floating platforms and whatnot, but we're ultimately listening to politics and, and like vague politics. Cause obviously you can't get too crazy about it either. And so you're left with this kind of, uh, I don't know, like juvenile version of what politics would be like, you know? Well, it's like he, like Lucas really wants to shake up what you know. Like Naboo has a queen. She's a child. They elect her. They elect her. her. <laughs> yeah. Like he really wants to change things up. Um, I just I, I couldn't get past like Palpatine having to explain to her how it works. But anyways, so there's all this buildup that the Senate takes a while to act. Yet things seem to move pretty fucking quickly. You know, I mean, like they they've kicked out Valorum, and they're instantly on their way to like having a new Supreme Chancellor. Supreme Chancellor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just surprised that the head of a sovereign state though could could push for a vote in the Senate. Yeah, it doesn't totally make sense. I mean, I guess anyone like, could. You know, but well, like, like just Pop to give the really idea. Afraid out. Of having his name attached to that, but the queen could do it. I just I don't mm-hmm. know. The that's that's one of the things I always seem odd, and it happens in Attack of the Clones too. The the odd manipulation of Palpatine not wanting to like, have his name stamped on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, when, he, when it wouldn't have really. Well, hurt, it makes I sense think. that a politician would maneuver that way. I think it's just for the purposes of storytelling, it it kind of has to be one of the characters you've already seen. Which makes it yeah. feel kind of awkward, yeah. Yeah. Well, then, okay. So then, the other, the other quote that that Qui-Gon hands out: uh, "Your focus determines your your reality." <laughs> um, that's accurate, but I think a dangerous <laughs> rationalization. It's also a bit of a double-edged sword, if you get my drift. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, the midi chlorians The explanations, of course, a little bit clunky. There's really there's just too many meetings. Um, it was like yeah. the. The story was like kind of like crazy to that point. It's like they, the Jedi go to the ship by the planet and they tr- get killed. They almost get killed, so they have to ride down and they like meet up with the local and they go under the ocean and they show up here and then they escape with their hyperdrive damage. So they have to go to Tatooine in order to get off Tatooine. They have to like win a pod race, you know. And then it's like and now some meetings, you know. It's like yeah. there's so much like motion, you know, and they kind of like getting thrown to one locale and the next, and then it's like. Oh, and now we're just gonna like take a bunch of meetings, which is you figure like that would happen, you know, at some point everyone would get together and talk about what's going on, but it's mm-hmm. just not very interesting to watch, right? Um, and there's too many like it seems like they go to the Jedi Council too many times, like it's like three yeah. different scenes, and it's like that you think that would go a little faster. Well, the sole test they give Anakin doesn't seem to me be worthy enough. Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, we've established it. Like, he's somewhat force aware. And then we're it's, just going to, like... It's essentially flashcards. Can you guess what's on this flashcard? Yeah. 
The boy misses his mother. Yeah. 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 Mace Windu. Kind of a dick. Yeah, right there. Hello. Hello. Hi. How you doing there? How how you doing? What's going on? Not much. Okay. Talking about Phantom Menace. How about you? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So you're kind of like thankful, I think, when they finally go back to Naboo. Um. It's like the story starts again. <laughs> yeah. 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 This like br- brief pause is over. I mean, it, it's I don't know. It just seems so odd though that that it's like Qui Gon and Obi Wan are, are told not to really get involved. They're going to take the kid along, even though the Jedi Council doesn't like the kid. They're specifically there to find this Sith, you know, mysterious Sith person. But it's like, how are they not going to get involved, you know, with this little war they're about to go start? Um, Well, it's like they had this whole idea of all the political intrigue they're going to introduce. And we're going to see how devious Palpatine was, you know, and how he's, you know, playing as a Sith and as both a senator to achieve his goals. And it's like, yeah, and like, you definitely see how that happened. You know, um, and it's, it's well thought out for the most part. Like, it's like obviously drawing parallels to the past, you know, and how, you know, we know that certain totalitarian regimes came to power, but it's mm-hmm. just not very interesting cinematically, especially not in the middle of a Star Wars movie. Um, yeah, yeah. it's like this is a, this is a universe where you get made a general, like, just cause like your friends was like somebody else, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like Jar Jar. And Jar Jar mm-hmm. is very laughable as a general. Yeah. Um, to the point where I think, you know, you know what kind of character he is in this film, mm-hmm. but I almost feel like that, that certain, I think what a lot of people's problem is that that level of goodwill that goes with that was yeah. used up pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Lucas is always obsessed with, you know, like smaller groups of indigenous people with like little to no technology standing up against the more evolved mechanized invading forces and winning, but didn't it There's seem really like no they're... point for the Gungans to take on the droids. Like their their, I don't know their their uh, uh, diversion just doesn't seem. Well, they necessary. keep on talking to this like the death toll is catastrophic. It's like, is it? We certainly haven't seen any of that. You know, like well, like we haven't seen like, like concentration camps with Nabooans and like like some crazy carnage or something, anything like that. You know. Well, yeah, you get the one droid saying process them, but you don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know if that's something they force Sayobibble to say to like uh, to get her to respond to a message that could track her mm-hmm. or what. Sayobibble is funny in this movie to me. Um, yeah. It's because it's so odd to see like this guy who's probably worked for the government all his life. He's like a senior advisor and he's like giving advice to a like a uh, 12 year old girl mm-hmm. on like which which way they should go. Uh, but yeah, so then, you know, they get back to, to Naboo. Um, they're in a hangar, the, the Naboo Starfighter, which is cool, I think. Um, it's cool. They the, start the pilots, excited. yeah, the pilots, like Rick Oley and his, like, little Mary Van there, they all suck. Uh, I'm at best. Oh, and they're all, um, they're too old. Like, it seems like they should be a bunch of fighter jocks. And, like, Rick Oley looks like he's 50, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's like another, um, there's like a girl, the one, you know, she's like, oh, we didn't hit it. Uh, like she looks like she's in her forties. Like, why are these people fighter pilots? This is the state of Naboo's military. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then Darth Maul shows up. Qui-Gon says, 
we'll handle this. And it's like you just sense this like sigh of relief mm-hmm. going over like the Naboo security people because it's like, look at that guy. Mm-hmm. He looks pretty fucking formidable. And yeah, the, <laughs> I love it. The nice scene where they all take their, their coats off, you know. Yeah, they, they take time to disrobe because if you're going to do this thing, you're going to do it right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I know we talk about like we don't quite get why people love Darth Maul to the extent that they do. I certainly feel it more than I feel Boba Fett. Because yeah, yeah, to me, definitely. Darth Maul has a, has a great look. Well, and he also, he has the cool move where he like throws a part of the droid behind him to open a door. Well, you know what I'm talking it's about? So like, awesome. it's he, just like a, he points cool at use it, the then force. he points where he wants it to go. Mm-hmm. Like the way he uses the force is so cool. Yeah. Well, and he does it he, while, you know, twirling his sword and doing up. other stuff. And so it's, yeah, well, yeah it's, it's impressive. I mean, he just looks, he doesn't, he, you know, you only get those like those those dub lines by like Richard Eisenhower, which has a good voice for this. But mm-hmm. it was almost better if you never had him talk because yeah, the, he just looks so menacing. <laughs> um, yeah, this the the dog fight in space is. This odd. is where you the way they establish Anakin. Well, this is where you wanted like an older actor as Anakin. Um, yeah, the whole let's try spinning well, that's a good trick. You know, well like, this is tense. You, yeah. you wanted him to be like, it's like, I got this, you know? Like, yeah. he, he didn't, like, I don't know, he's just a little too young. Well, and he's, you know, like, they're, they're shackled by the fact that Obi-Wan said he was already a pretty great pilot when I met him. And it's just like, you're kind of like thinking, like, like Lucas is like sitting at the laptop writing the script, and he's just thinking, where the fuck did I write that? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, obviously there's a lot of droids on that ship, but like, probably a fair amount of uh, actual life forms that Anakin just killed. You know, like that's yeah. something to explore. Yeah. Well, the okay, so the the entire like three-way Jedi fight scene is excellent. I mean, it's just excellent. Yeah, it's but great. I find myself defeats. really confused about the architecture and the engineering of that particular part <laughs> of the capital. Um, well, if the hangar is apparently right next to some massive like powered core generator thing, you know. There's a lot of like 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 go uh, Gangplanks over like abysses, mm-hmm. like a lot of abysses. That weird hallway of force fields, of timed force fields. Like, what is that? What is the purpose of that? I always <laughs> wonder. I mean, it's cool. That whole yeah. sequence where they're at the pause the fight yeah. is really cool. But what is the point of that? <laughs> it's not as bad as uh, the hotel made out of explosions and quantum solace, but yeah, it is. Yeah. It's like, it's like, where did this come from? You know, like there's these bottomless chasms here and there there's these like uh just like beams of energy going up and down you yeah, know yeah. like what what's going on well there's one point where they they get out of the part of the hangar and they're into the the, the room of nothing but like uh like walkways and gangplanks mm-hmm. and it's like there's a little like uh like a balcony platform that they jump across from one point to another like what was the point of that balcony platform like well, I, and why did darth maul make for that i was, I was actually just rewatching that part and it's like, why did you go that way? Like you're in retreat. Yeah. That was a really poor tactical decision. <laughs> you like backed yourself yeah. onto like a like a, a little walkway that that stops, and then you have to jump yeah. over to another one. Well, see, and and there's certain things with um, like when you watch the first season of Angel, and they have to like depower the vampires and then power them back yeah. up again. At points like uh, Obi Wan gets knocked off of his walkway, falls like 150 feet to the one below. He's able to jump yeah. seamlessly back up. But like other times, 
like you know when in like Attack of the Clones when Yoda's ripping part of the ceiling out to throw it at, at Dooku, it's like he's really struggling. You know, like, ooh, this is hard. You know, yeah. I, even though I'm a Jedi Master, this is not easy to do. But it's like I don't think that Obi Wan just jumped 150 feet in the air. I think the Force might have helped him a little bit there. Oh no, he definitely did. Yeah, I mean that's like Luke does it in Return of the Jedi. He jumps all the way up to the the Great and Starlight Pit. Um, that's yeah. like a it's like a Jedi thing that you can jump super high. But I, I, uh, I feel like with Yoda and, and obviously we'll talk about this more later. But some of that exertion seems uh, I don't know like like a put on. Is there's yeah. that that awesome moment in Revenge of the Sith when he shows up at Palpatine's office and just like shrugs and like the guards go flying behind him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I liked when they get to the actual throne room. The throne has hidden like ray guns. <laughs> like a really obvious button for him too. It wasn't like a hidden yeah. button, or she had to like scan a thumbprint or anything. And it's not like one for the queen. Like she yeah. has the button, and like there's like seven just lying in there waiting to be used. I, I love that. When they had ascension guns, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> their ascension guns, guns. Yeah. had special things with the uh, little cables on them. Yeah, I just I don't think that I could fire that up in the air and hold on. And I I, I it just amazes me that they're so all so capable of doing that. And, and with the queen, yeah. Yeah, with the queen. Nobody's like trying to help her or worry. Like, what if she falls? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when you watch it, there's like one guy. Queen? When you watch it, there's like one guy who, like, I don't know, his thing was broken because he, he rises much slower than the others. I also think oh, that's nice. funny to watch. Yeah. Nice. Um, I mean, yeah, if you're just if you're just going to this movie by itself, and you have no concept of Star Wars. I don't think this movie will really. It's not. It's not bad. There are little nitpicks, but it's not like you're watching Roadhouse, which is, you know, it's a whole other level of like, mm-hmm. you know, of just what the fuck is going on here? This makes no sense. There's a little bit of that, but not, not a ton. Movie, it, just, just, it really seemed like you needed a whole other creative force on the set to not be thinking about the effects or anything like that, you know, yeah. and to like just be really hard on the script. There's, I mean, the script, there's tons of stuff that they could just cut, you know, there's like. There's a lot of scenes that don't really need to be there, but are there for like fan servicey reasons or just for fun or, you know, like it just like you needed more polish than anything else. Because I, I really feel like each of these movies, it, this the prequels, they get progressively better by like an order yeah, of magnitude, definitely. you know. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, Attack of the Clones is just light speeds ahead of this. Um, and Revenge of the Sith is pretty awesome. Better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, it's just you have... You have all your characters that you love and love and the characters you want to get to know. And though he's not terrible, you know, like you have to spend time with Qui-Gon and, and mm-hmm. what have you. And Captain Panaka. And it's like, these aren't yeah. the characters you care about. Oh, we got to talk about our, our favorite line from the movie, our favorite exchange. <laughs> They're this on storm will slow him down. <laughs> Looks pretty bad. Oh, man, the line reading is that. so awful. It's, it's like pure Star Wars. Uh, it reminds me a lot of the terrible line readings that uh, Londo and Han have in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, when they're both like obviously Oops. checked out, it still comes off more organic than this. I mean, the, de- uh, the there's that the, scene where uh, Han's like, uh, "I got your word, not a scratch, right?" And Londo's like, "Would you get going, you old pirate?" Like, oh, so terrible. Like, you can tell Harrison me. Ford did not give a shit at that point. You know? Like, yeah, there's a difference between Billy Dee Williams and Hugh Corsi, I'm afraid to say. Um, <laughs> this storm will slow them down. <laughs> It's uh, pretty bad. That and the the Skywalker dinner table scene to yeah. me is pretty awkward. Well, it's like, why was it really there? I mean, I guess just 
to give us the moral tongue yeah and to give us the moral the story that you know you should help people when they're in need or you know well and when you rewatch this movie you don't buy the smile that Padme gives Anakin at the end yeah because like she doesn't seem to like this kid at all until he wins the pod race and then she still isn't (laughs) that crazy about him well and it's just I feel like this just leads into the some of the issues that the romance had in Attack of the Clones. Like you just don't feel it, you know. Like yeah. there's just you know, you're just not feeling it. There's no chemistry. Well, like, the romance in Attack of the Clones would make a lot more sense if it was based around hardcore lust. Yeah, yeah. Like if they were just nailing each other when they were going from like Naboo to uh, Tatooine in Attack of the Clones, that would make a lot more sense. Um, like it's the first time menacing stairs. Yeah. It's the first time like Padme saw Anakin in episode two. She was just like, Ooh, you know, like something like that, you know, like you, you wanted like some kind of like, and he started like barking. Yeah. 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 Or, you know, you, something where you do it in a way where like, maybe they don't realize they're going to meet, you know, like you do the kind of the, the re-meet cute or whatever, you know, yeah. or like he's doing something that turns her on. Then she realizes it's Anakin or something like that. Um, she, drop something he catches it with the force and maybe that's just a problem with trying to make a pg movie with a romance in it you know i don't know yeah. but we can talk about that more next week i really yeah. like the the lightsaber fights in this and it's it's like lucas is like doing something that other directors don't do which is like hold his action shots um mm-hmm. like the scene where after qui-gon has been stabbed and then uh, the the gates open and Anakin or uh, Obi Wan comes running in, like they hold that shot, like he runs, yeah. you know, like they fight for yeah. a good like ten seconds or so there, doing all the stunts, and, and they're not like it's not like a whole bunch of close ups where you don't really know what's going on. It's cutting super quick, like they really let the stunts speak for themselves, and it looks awesome. Well, and the nice thing about it is a lot of those sequences were really Ewan McGregor, mm-hmm. and obviously Ray Park is a stunt guy, so it's not a hard thing for him. Though it's odd to think about Ray Park's career coming <laughs> out of this film. Um, he got a boost. Well, it, it kind of reminds me a little of uh, one reason I think that The Matrix was successful as it was, is because like, it was like, yeah, those are the actors doing those stunts, and yeah. they're they're holding the shots. It's like, they're, just, they're not tricking you. It's like, yeah, that guy's actually doing all this kung fu. Well, I was going to say is that, that they're really good about the way they do the effects. Because obviously, um, you know, that's not uh, Christopher Lee wielding mm-hmm. his lightsaber in Attack of the Clones. But they still hold those medium shots. And they're really good about taking out the stunt guy's face yeah. and putting in Christopher Lee. I mean, they, they've got that down mm-hmm. to an excellent science. But even still, I mean, like Liam Neeson and, and, and uh, Ewan McGregor, like, trained hardcore. Mm-hmm on this stuff and it shows it really shows um, yeah and it, it just man you watch a modern action movie where when people fight and you, know, you could even criticize like guys like nolan for this uh it's like the fights or it's it's just a lot of like you can't really tell what's going on there's just uh obviously there's some punching and kicking but it's cut so quickly and it's shot so close up that you know who knows how good the actual choreography was on the set well, and I don't think you're you're going to those Batman movies to watch Batman's fight scenes. True, I mean, true. there's there's quibbles like we picked of that. They're, they don't they don't make sense in a lot of ways. But the emotions, you know, he really mm-hmm. he really brings the in. The Bane fight was good. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I like that in, well, in that, Phantom Menace. Actually, that that's actually I think supports our argument though. Like the really excellent Bane fight where he like goes into Berserker mode. 
you know, and yeah. starts like punching. Like that was all done in like longer shots than normal. And so I yeah. think that made the fight more impressive. Yeah. Um, I like that you really only get those, that one sequence of like push in close ups in this three way lightsaber fight. <laughs> yeah. Um, right before they jump from catwalk to catwalk. Uh, it seems like Darth Maul had a lot of opportunities to just like cut them in half by just twirling yeah. his sword, you know, but he, he doesn't yeah. at certain points. Like when Qui-Gon jumps after him, like down from one platform to another. Yeah. He lands yet, like right next time, to him. There's a point where, where after Qui-Gon is dead and Obi-Wan has chopped the uh, double lightsaber in half mm-hmm. and he's like managed to knock uh, Darth Maul on his back. Darth Maul jumps back up as, as Obi-Wan leaps over him. Mm-hmm. And Darth Maul does this thing as he's running where he keeps twirling back and like swinging his lightsaber because Obi-Wan could have easily stabbed him in the back. And it's just a very like effective move, I thought, where he's just like constantly like like flipping, turning, and like like shielding himself, moving, yeah. turning, shielding himself. And then like, later another... he, and then later he just stands there as Obi Wan jumps over him, does a flip, <laughs> lands on the other side and cuts him in half. All the while he's I... not moving his lightsaber at all. Right. The only the only uh the only bit of the novelization I read, because I, I someone gave mm-hmm. me a copy of the novelization, was that that was the point in which obi-wan stopped trying and started doing, doing yeah or like yeah, apparently that was a point books. where uh darth maul just stopped trying period yeah <laughs> well it's like why didn't he kick over qui-gon's lightsaber too i mean he's very yeah. he's very smart about kicking obi-wan's lightsaber out of, out of the way yeah he almost wanted to like i don't know him to like hear something behind him you know like the old the old trick in the book like something yeah. like that just to distract him a little I mean, they're, they're good about, um, like one of the things that drove me nuts is a small thing in like the, that Star Trek. Into Darkness. Before they went into darkness, that like, I don't, I don't even know what you call it. It's kind of a reboot. It's kind of a time travel reboot. Um, is that like Kirk is constantly dangling over the ledge of things, like yeah. constantly. I mean, Obi-Wan does it twice in this and it's not excessive. It's not like, God, oh, here we go. He's hanging off a ledge again. It, mm-hmm. it, it plays well. Um, it's like when he finally jumps up, grabs that lightsaber, cuts Darth Maul in half, and becomes the Obi-Wan we've wanted him to be for the previous two and a half hours. With uh, his bad wig, yeah. <laughs> and they go and burn Qui-Gon. And the whole time I'm watching that scene, I'm just thinking about the smell. Yeah. I don't know, maybe you were yeah. thinking the same. But... Yeah, I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking, like, this is pretty fucking barbaric. Like, yeah. especially for, like, uh, like, little Anakin, like, what kind of group have I just gotten associated with? Maybe it was I didn't have things so bad as a slave. Like I worked in a repair shop. Well, that I was, is what I think, a slave. That is, I think, something you could criticize too. Is like, who is your who's your character entry point here? Because you're following around Qui Gon a lot, but then there's the yeah. Queen, and there's Obi Wan, and then there's Anakin, who's like kind of the central character of the whole you know series. Um, yeah. But it's like. Like you don't get enough of like what does Anakin think about what's going on when Qui Gon died stuff like that you know yeah well I mean the original trilogy is very much about Luke and Han and a little bit about Leia really like but like I think for the Empire stuff aren't you really kind of following Han more than you're following Leia uh I mean to me they're they're like a a duo basically at that point like i feel like after the first movie han and leia become a unit the, you know the unit of han and leia and then there's luke a little bit i mean 
I guess. I, I think I associate it more because even though it is on both their parts, like Han is trying a lot more to to get with Leia, even though she is. I just want to point out that the, my hands are dirty. You know, my hands are dirty too. Like, that's what you wanted in uh, the romance of yeah. uh, of uh, Anakin and Padme. You wanted a, you know, I mean, come on. He's, yeah. We we know where this leads. You know, we've we've gone to the anatomy and health class. Like let's let's see it a little more. You know, but I mean, yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot of like just little nitpicks that you would make. The 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 movie needed a strong entry character. You're right. It needed it needed a Han type character, which I guess Obi Wan became in this in the Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. It needed that shot of the ship going into hyperspace. You know, they don't do that in any of the prequels, which I could only assume is a like an intentional choice. That they, I think they, I think what this is what I suspect. I think Lucas loves that shot from the New Hope so much. It's uh-huh. such an iconic shot that he did not want to do anything to like preempt it. Hmm. Well, I mean, the there's an io nine article last week or week before about like 25 images that sum up like science fiction of the past mm-hmm. so many years. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. And they put that image in, and they say, you know, we could have picked like a hundred different images from Star Wars, but this one, you know, mm-hmm. really. Hits at home, and, well, and I think Lucas right. knows that. I think Lucas knows it, and that he didn't want to preempt it at all. He wanted that to be the first time you go to light speed, which which is which is smart. But going rewatching this and, and thinking about especially specifically that I'm nine article and how important that shot is. There's that point where they're about to leave Naboo or Naboo orbit, and they're talking about the hyperdrive is leaking, mm-hmm. and it's like you're just like, okay, show me the star field. You're mm-hmm. like, you just you're just craving it, and it yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if you watched them all in order, it would be even more epic the first time they, they go to light speed, you know, inside a ship. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> if you're watching them all in order, I think it's safe to say that the uh, the movies get progressively better. Yeah. But, spoiler alert to, to others, I mean, obviously there's a lot of things that you and I are unified on, as opposed to quote-unquote Star Wars fans. Mm-hmm. But I think you and I both prefer Return of the Jedi to A New Hope. I don't know. I go back and forth on it. I, I definitely have more nostalgia for Return of the Jedi. Um, yeah, there, there are times when I watch The New Hope and I am really impressed just that they even got away with what they're doing. Like, think about the structure of A New Hope and how it's like the droids for the first 30 minutes and all that. Like, I feel like Lucas yeah. kind of wanted something similar in this where it was like this kind of like crazy getting thrown from one scenario to the next at the beginning of this movie. Um, yeah. It doesn't totally work, yeah. but... It's like he's definitely like it's the interesting thing about Lucas and the Star Wars scripts in general. It's not like he's doing anything by the numbers here. You know, I mean, he's making these very conscious and calculated choices to break a lot of normal rules that you would, you know, have in a movie. And it's it's like when it works, it's it's a new hope. And when it doesn't, it's a Phantom Menace, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's weird. Yeah, he's he's you don't want to say subverting your expectations. but He's definitely subverting your tropes. I mean, there's certain things that pan out. Like, part of the problem with Tatooine sequence is that... It's too long. Uh, it's too long. Qui-Gon has this kind of, eh, we'll find a way. You know, he's not too worried about anything that happens to them on Tatooine, which on one hand makes sense because he's a Jedi. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. it's not like when Luke is on Tatooine in New Hope. But this other time, it's like, you, you as an audience, you want to be a little concerned for your heroes. Well, it, the stakes were fairly high, but they didn't seem high. Like, were no. these people going to be stranded on Tatooine if they lose the race? Like, I don't know, you wanted every, everything that happens, you, I think you just want to be compressed. And, like, there's, like, multiple scenes of negotiating with Wadu, which aren't yeah. 
you know it's like you, you want to compress that all down and make it more immediate like where it's like they have to throw everything behind this kid you know and he has to win the race and then boom have the race well, you know like plan b i'm presuming is the sequence that would have taken 30 seconds total is where him and obi-wan like forcibly steal a different ship <laughs> yeah a little known facts about the jedi they're awesome criminals when they need to be yeah you would think yeah but for all its flaws an enjoyable movie you've yeah. got lightsabers um, I, I think if you were going to make one criticism for a Star Wars movie the star fights are pretty bland um, mm. but you've got some lightsabers you get a pod race you know um, you get the creepy Anakin and Padme relationship yeah I mean like <sighs> We have a lot of nitpicks, but uh, a lot of things will change. Them with when, love. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things will change when you reach chorus and Anakin. But my feelings for you will not. Like, <laughs> well, like, I, I took that, you know, at the time. I mean, she's still gonna dislike you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but suddenly she's like, it's like slightly fond of this weird little. But I, kid. I think they strange I, little orphan. We'll talk about this more when we do Attack of the Clones. But I, I think they maybe wanted them to kind of have that like bickering uh romance where it's like like they think they don't like each other until they do or something but they didn't pull it off yeah i'm almost tempted to say that next week we should talk about um we should re-envision both this movie and attack of the clones with the rumors um Which do you remember how forcibly people were trying to assure you that kenneth Branagh was going to be obi-wan oh you mean before they cast Ewan, yeah. Yeah, before they cast Ewan McGregor. Like, I remember when that, that terrible Frankenstein movie that he did came out, it was just like, it was all but assured. It was mm. like, cause like he supposedly had a top secret meeting with Lucas and it was going to be Obi-Wan. And it's like, can you just, can you just imagine like Kenneth Branagh doing flips and lightsaber <laughs> battles and stuff? Well, it's something that should be mentioned. Like, Ewan is like, is for as much as people hate on the prequels, I don't think there's really anyone out there who's hating on Ewan as Obi-Wan. No. Like, he nails it. Yeah. He nails the voice. Like you're like, yeah, that's young Obi Wan, you know. Yeah. Although there yeah, is that that great joke that uh, Groover had about why Obi Wan looks so much older in uh, New Hope than he than you know twenty years earlier in Attack of the Clones. What was that? It, it's so it's it, obviously in Attack of the Clones he he looks like Ewan McGregor, and then right, I mean I'm in Revenge of the Sith, uh, and then twenty years later is the New Hope, and he's like this super old man. Um, yeah. And the the joke is that the reason for that is because he's had like twenty years of like hard living at the bar, the most icy <laughs> cantina. He's been drinking constantly, and like that's why a he looks like shit because he's just like living a hard life there, drinking himself you know to death. And b that's why he knows everyone at the bar. You know that's why they go there. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, Ian McGregor and Alec Guinness are definitely. Uh, the best parts and the most lived in to their roles mm -hmm. just because of the quality of their acting. Um, so those, I always loved that when Ewan McGregor like was doing the press junkets for Phantom Menace, like as if he wasn't the best part of this movie, he had to keep throwing around the pedigree that he was like Wedge's cousin or Wedge's yeah. nephew or something. <laughs> um, it's like, no, no one, I mean, like, I can't explain to the interviewers, oh, I'm Dennis Lawson's like cousin. And they're like, who? Yeah. Good old Wedge. I like Wedge. Yeah, but unfortunately, I feel like this movie really kicked into overdrive the whole like kind of Luddite hatred of CGI, uh, mm. despite the massive mm. amounts of model work they did in this movie. 
Well, and, and one of the things we shouldn't let go is is a certain level of praise should be placed upon uh, Jurassic Park, which mm-hmm. Island did, which was the, the film that told Lucas that it was time to do the prequels, that he could do what he wanted to do. I mean, yeah. I know nobody complains about that. It's yeah. one of those pet peeves for me, people bitching and moaning about CGI, because what they really mean is they don't like bad CGI or. Yeah. Like they they use it as like this all encompassing excuse when there's a you know it's like a lot of shots it's like actually that was a model you know like they don't totally know what they're talking about it's just like this easy shorthand for why they don't like something like oh bad bad CGI and it's like there's plenty well, of bad it, effects work out there that doesn't involve CGI. Well, and again, like uh, like to me, Yoda does not look great in this movie, and no. he's he's a puppet. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, in Attack of the Clones, the clone troopers look amazing. There was not a single person in that outfit. That's all CGI, mm-hmm. which is fascinating to me. I mean, I would have never, ever guessed that based on watching Attack of the Clones. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, all of the kinks are out of their system by the end of Phantom Menace. Yeah. Well, they finally figured out how to do all the stuff they wanted to do. You know, And I mean, Lucas even said, you know, it'd be like, there's stuff I want to do in episode three that hasn't been invented yet. You know, and like, mm-hmm. They definitely broke a ton of new ground just in figuring out how to do these effects. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what they do in the new ones. Yeah, really. Anyway, uh, any last thoughts on The Phantom Menace? No, I think we covered it. I mean, just that title, it, it should really tell you the kind of style Lucas is going for, but it, it's, I don't know, I mean, it's like everybody had their own idea of a Star Wars movie in their mind for decades almost decades um what fascinates me the people there's a lot of people out there who would prefer the like dummy title of the beginning or something like that terrible like the phantom menace it it just fits it's just it's fun there's a lot of uh terrible title ideas out there for episode seven it's all like like a new dawn or like uh, (laughs) a shadow falls or you know like rise of the jedi knights they're all terrible uh yeah, I mean, it, I don't know, Phantom Menace, it just echoes New Hope nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, you, you lose track of the sight that a New Hope, the hope is Luke. It's not even Leia yet, because that would, mm-hmm. that would ruin the reveal that Leia is his sister. It's, it's you know, there's Luke. originally supposed to be a third Skywalker. Well, we'll talk about that. Again, the rumor stuff. Like, the, you and I had both, I think, heard that story. It's an old one, yeah, yeah. That was the like, original the, nine trilogy. What the ending of Revenge of the, or what the ending of Episode Three was going to contain the birth scene. It was going to be three Skywalker <laughs> kids, and that was going to be where you got your third trilogy from. Yeah, and I, uh, I just remember gripping the the armrest of my <laughs> my seat, watching Revenge of the Sith, and hoping. That, no. Well, I think that was one of those things where they suggested so much mystery uh, through yeah. the course of the filmmaking that there really was never any. There, there never was like a holy shit moment, you know. Well, I um, think, I think the fact that there wasn't like a third Skywalker kid or whatever is it was a sign at the time that I think Lucas was ready to be done for a while. Yeah. As much as he put a lot of quality in Revenge of the Sith, I think that that it was, you know, took its toll on him, especially the backlash that he would deal with with things like Jar Jar, mm-hmm. which you know that's something we'll talk about with Attack of the Clones, the way things changed. Yeah, yeah, it's like, all right, a lot less Jar Jar and Boba Fett. You guys like Boba Fett, right? 
Yeah, I mean, for for people saying that that he doesn't listen to the fans, not that he should, mm-hmm. but that he doesn't listen to the fans. Clearly, the man listens to the fans way too much. Yeah, Attack of the Clones is like a massive reaction to what people thought and complained about in Phantom Menace. But uh, we'll talk about that next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, may the force be with you. Always. Always.